things I found out about hearing about what I was. And it took me a long time to have it revealed is that what was hearing about what I was wasn't me. Yeah? It wasn't like I was being reminded of what I was. What was hearing about what I was wasn't me. It was the identification with a mental process called selfing and the idea of being a self. Yes? The mental process is a verb. It's an activity of a mental process. I like to call it selfing. And it makes up a feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity rooted in identifying with the body. So there's consciousness in this, moving through this body. And the consciousness, in a sense, has become identified with what it's moving through. So it's taken itself into this. So now, instead of recognizing consciousness demonstrating itself when seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching are going on, my head has, my men, the men, not mine, the mental process has interpreted seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching as I'm seeing that. Yeah? I'm hearing this. So as soon the seeing gets sort of bastardized because the eye is felt to be the seer, and then everything that's seen is, been, is given name and form, as they say in Hinduism. Yeah? So the mind immediately conceptualizes what it thinks it's seeing. Yeah? So there's this. So this is name and form. Yes. All this and this name and form. There's the seeing, and then this name and form gives name and form to what it thinks it's seeing. Yeah. Now it looks like three different things are going on. But in fact, that's the act of seeing. Yeah? There's, a, there's an assumed or a, an illusory seer, and there's, a, and there's what's seen, which is just an appearance. But the seeing is actually all there is. Yeah? The seeing is all there is. Seeing is consciousness. Seeing is that awareness. And in a sense, there's like a field of awareness that appearances show up in. Like we talked about it the other day with the ocean and the waves. I like that description where right now we're here having a meeting, a, a meeting about the ocean that all these waves are attending. Yeah, So we're going to go to an ocean meeting, but we're all going as, as a wave, an individual wave. So I'm sitting here as a wave, and you're sitting there as a wave. And now we're discussing the ocean. Yeah? But the thing is, for... for you to appear to be a real solid wave, there has to be a denial of the oceanness, yeah? because that's what you actually are, is ocean. In a sense, a wave is an appearance on the surface of the ocean. In a sense, we're an appearance here coming out of, let's say, all there is, which is what you want to call it, awareness or spirit, whatever. But that spirit, almost in a sense, coagulates here and now appears and takes a form of a wave. But the spirit never forgets its spirit, yes? Even though it's appearing as a wave. But if you become identified with the wave, part of that identification is to deny the ocean. Or you wouldn't take the wave seriously. Because while you were acting the pantomime of being a wave, there would be an overriding sense of being the ocean, which would chill everything out, yes? You couldn't get so huffed and puffed up about being a wave because there would be the underlying sense, hey, I'm an ocean. The wave can break or not break. It doesn't matter. All there is is that ocean. But here, as a wave, we can think we're dry. We can be pursuing wetness as if it's a goal or an experience we as a wave is going to have when we're actually wet, as wet as you'll ever be right now. But you're, never, you're not as wet as you'll ever be. You are as wet as you ever be as a wave, but when you're identified as a wave, you're not sensing that. Yes? You can actually live like a dry wave. You can actually live as if you've never been, dry, you, you've never been wet before. Yeah? So for me, it isn't like, oh, let's describe how beautiful the ocean is, because the, the persistence of this identification will neuter that description because you won't, it won't be applied to you. It will be applied to a wave that will entertain, hey, I can have an experience of the ocean. Okay? 
If I do something and I have something, maybe I'll get an experience of the ocean. But the sense of being a wave is rooted firmly. Yeah? It's the prior identity. So you cannot entertain I'm ocean while you're entertaining your wave. Yeah? You can entertain the ocean as a wave, but that will always throw the ocean away from you or as you into a goal or an object or something you'll experience. Yeah? So in a sense, let's say you're identified as this. And life after a while, a lot of the formulas that you follow to bring about a sense of joy or ease haven't worked. So you come across another way, which is called becoming spiritual. Yeah. So here it is. You're identified as this, and therefore the way you're going to hold spirit is you as this becoming spiritual. That's not spirit. Really. Spirit is all there is. But when you believe this is also something, then spirit becomes spiritual. And now you believe that you have to do and have something to get what? Spiritual. So you're attempting almost to graft spirituality onto a prior identification, a body and a brain. It doesn't hold water. It's like a henna tattoo. It washes off through the circumstances and the situ situations of one's life. It may work when you're in a secluded retreat and everything's supervised and the, the food is offered to you and it's delicious and all this and all that. But then as soon as you leave the retreat, that, that peace is seen to be very fragile, yes? Because what predominates once again is the identification as this, yeah? And this cannot entertain itself as spirit. It can only entertain itself becoming spiritual. That's what defeats us. It's not that you haven't found the right method, in my view, or the right philosophy. It's what's listening to the method and the philosophy is the dilemma. Yeah? If there is an act of being identified with a product of a mental process, that act of being identified as that, one of its first paradigms is denial of its own nature, because it couldn't take its, this nature to be real if it entertained its real nature. Yeah? If, if this starts entertaining its real nature, it realizes, I'm not this. That's the message, really, in a sense. In other words, I am, therefore I'm not, actually. See? I am... I'm appearing here, therefore I'm not. See? If I recognize I'm, a, I'm identified with an appearance of space, yes? I am that appearance, therefore I'm not that appearance, I'm space. Yes? So I don't really, I never like the descriptions, I don't mind it, you know? They're very poetic and beautiful when the truth or whatever is described, yeah? and we hear it, it's not that the description isn't as sound and beautiful as it could be. It's what's hearing it is what's causing it not to translate. Because if I can hear ad nauseum about the ocean, but if I'm hearing it as a wave, I'm still going to be separate from it. Yeah? The wave is the act of ocean separating from itself. The wave is an appearance that's claiming a reality. If for it to claim a reality as an appearance, it has to deny the reality. It can't just claim this as the reality. If this claiming this is an act of denial of the mental process of the reality, or this would not seem real. It can't let in the truth, because the truth will set you free. From what? The you. <laughs> it's not going to set you free, but you're going to be set free from the you. See, set you free sounds great to the you. So it will practice, you know, spirituality and like this, as long as it believes I can be there when I get free. <laughs> when it's, it will set you free from the you. No, 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 no. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's delay that possibility. Let me practice. So the thing for me is the question, what's appearing as me, which is a verb, yeah? The head, because it's not real, the head has to spin it to be real. That's why they, one study a long years ago when I was in Australia, they did a study, they said, 
a normal person, which none of us are here, but let's just say a normal brain has 70,000 thoughts a day. 70,000 thoughts go through them. Now, for me, the job I used to do, like painting houses, I did not need a 70,000 thoughts to do the job, you know. Every room I went in had four walls and a ceiling usually, you know, so I didn't have to really think much about it. What were all the thoughts doing? All the other thoughts. I would say what they were doing were reinforcing the identification as a self. Yeah? So the way the thought system is, is totally, totally very limited. Yeah? It comes out of a system of thought and interpretation called self-centeredness, and its main agenda is to fortify and reinforce and advertise life in the idea of being about you, yeah? as this. Yeah? That's what it does all day. So your daily story about what's happening, even, it's amazing because a lot of thoughts have your voice, doesn't it? Sounds like you. See, that's also active identification because it actually doesn't sound like you at all. It sounds like the sound from a vocal cord located in this body. That's a giant leap to say this is you. <laughs> yeah? But you see, the act of identification is so rooted into our daily little take here, we don't even know the dilemma. You think you're suffering from outside forces. It's, it's the identification as what you're not, to me, is the root of the suffering. And if you're identified as self, either it has to be grace that it gets revealed to you, or you hear it from some source. It could be a bird, it could be a you know, panoramic view, it could be another person, it could be an animal, whatever, who knows. But you're going to usually have to hear it from somewhere else, because in your little helmet, yeah, that's not going to be entertained. You're in the identification of self. It's very difficult to come, come up with the idea, hey, I'm identified as self. Usually you have to hear it from someone. At least that's what happened with me. I heard it from someone else, and that, in a way, corrected my attention. And my attention, instead of looking outside of what I could do and have to get myself better, I, the attention got turned around and looked at who is it that needs to get better? Yeah? Who is it that's hell-bent on getting an advantage here? Who is it that believes that if I do enough spirituality, I'll get detached from the trials and tribulations here? In other words, that's the dilemma. Most people, they're still waiting to get this as who they are. And you're not that. Yeah? People say, again, I haven't even gotten yet. That thing that's waiting to get it ain't never going to get it. It's the absence of that. That's the getting it. Literally. When you lose interest in that, and for me how it worked was very simple. You use the poison as an antidote, really. I'll use that example I always use because I like it. There's a girl in the other room here. There's a meeting. And this girl I like to know biblically, right? You know, I've got a plan for her. i got a feeling I'm going to be married to her. This is what mine does. Yes, It just represents. I did this thing when I was young. I remember I went through a hallway one day. And a girl said hello to me. I was 11 years old. She said hello to me, and I went home and wondered what she meant by it for five hours. <laughs> My mental process represented this one little tiny event in a, in a midst of millions of other events going on in that grade school. I mean, millions and millions of events were going on in a, in a 24-hour period. But that one event my little head fixated on, and I went home, and it represented it to me what it could have meant. <laughs> Hour after hour after hour. Now, its, it's, it's spectrum of what it could have meant is a very limited spectrum. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we're just replaying the same old, same old. Does she like me? Doesn't she like me? Da, da, da. And they'd be bouncing off beliefs that I'm not likable and all this. <laughs> and this is, the, this is what selfing is. Yes? The mental process represents your life to you. Really. It's not even to you. It's, it, the, that's the selfing, yeah? Is the feeling that life is presenting itself to you. Life is just presenting itself. Something reflects it, but it's reflecting it as a self. It's identified as a self, so it takes it to be about me, yeah? But it's not about you, it's about self. It's a made-up idea, a fixation of mind, the sense 
and the thought of being a long-lasting independent separate entity. And the mind is fixated on that, and its representing life is based on that. Yeah? What does this mean to me? So most people don't feel life is happening. They feel like life is happening to me. Yeah? Immediately everything is seen as how it pertains to me. This is called self-centeredness. It's a perfect description. Centered on self. Now, if your interest and attention is centered on self, and you're not that, then I would imagine you're going to be missing a whole lot. Yeah? Being fixated on a, an imaginary point. And then all these troubles and woes that will be produced because of that fixation, you'll keep blaming it on others, or this or that, or that, or even the self, but you'll never entertain being able to be free of it because you identify that. You'll, you'll entertain getting therapy for it. You'll entertain going on retreats. You'll entertain socializing it so you can enjoy a picnic, maybe, without flipping out. Maybe if you really work hard with it, you'll have a relationship that lasts a month, as long as you don't see her every day, just you know, a couple of days a week. And maybe you'll go swimmingly for a little while. But basically, <laughs> I mean, the bar isn't being raised that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but if you can see it's not you, you can entertain being free of it, literally. So, here's this woman and I'm interested in her and my attention is listening through that wall to see if she says anything. And people are going, Paul, you know, there's a talk and you're supposed to be participating. And I agree with them, but I can't seem to help myself. I just you know, want to hear what she says about me. Of course, I expect her to be talking about me. I mean, that's another big leap. But there I am. And then someone says, hey, here's a book. I had to lose interest in a conversation in another room. I go, I read it, but it doesn't really work. You know what I mean? It's like a self-help book. <laughs> I'm still there. And then yet, finally, I hear she starts talking. But she's talking about a guy named Matt. Now, my name is Paul. What happens? I lose interest in the conversation immediately, don't I? As soon as there's a recognition it's not about me, what occurs? All that interest and attention that was just like straining to get into that other room, yeah, is released, and what occurs? You'll find out, really. I don't want to say it because it's not, there's no routine of it, but when your interest and attention is loosened, it will enliven life. Yeah? Instead of being constantly getting sucked into this black hole of selfing, it will now... And what's amazing, and the sense that I have with it, is the attention and interest. See, because you can't lose an attention or interest. You just lose it in things. You never lose attention or interest. You have plenty of it. You don't have it, but it's available. Yeah? What occurred with me is the attention and interest, free from taking this to be itself, is now given the opportunity to actually find itself, which it does very easily. And then it lands in that sense presence, yeah? It has the ability to attend and be interested in things outside without losing the sense of presence, yeah? It's not living in the porno theater of mind up here, where it's going over how Dallas did Debbie or Debbie did Paul or whatever, over and over again, seeing different results. It's freed, and now its intention interest is going out, and all the while it's also resting in and of itself. So, in spirituality, they call it one level of peace called abidance in truth. Yeah? So your interest and attention is abiding in the truth. And then, let's say in recovery, we call the active part of the disease obsession with self. Yeah? So there's a sense of abiding in truth, and then there's a sense of obsessing with self. They're the exact same energy. Their interest and attention, both of them. They're just their effects here will be in what vehicle they're put in. So if my interest and attention is absorbed in selfing, some of the products of that will be anxiety about what's not happening. Yes? Resentments about what did I, what I thought happened. Blame. Looking for saviors. All of these things will be, uh, will be very, very valid in that system. When that attention and interest is free from that and rests in itself, that's an ease and comfort in your skin. When? Now. It, the effects of it are not based on you doing or having anything. They're inherently available at all times, 
right where you are with no requirement necessary for you to entertain it? Yeah? You've left a one ball game that's so structured and so based on time and so based on doing and having, and now your interest and attention is absorbed in another game which is immediate. Peace is not seen as a goal that you're going to get. It's seen as an activity of an unfettered mind. Serenity, you comprehend now. You're not confused about what serenity is. You comprehend surrender, because now you know what it's like to be surrendered. You know that there has been a dying to the self instead of dying as the self. Once you recognize you're not self, you die to it. In other words, Dying to it, to me, is an immunity to the thought system. You're not being located or navigated by thought anymore. Something else is navigating the apparatus. You're not taking your cues from past memories. You're open up to the immediate uh, influence of now. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It's like night and day. So now you're dying to the self. In other words, the thoughts are selfing, and they're attempting to do what? Capture your attention and interest. That's what they do. Yeah. Why? And it, their greatest piece of bait is the smell of you in it. You think it's about you, or you're the thinker of it, yes? Somehow it has you believing it's about you, and that's where your interest and attention is freely given to it. Over and over again, no matter how boring it is, you've been listening to it for 40 years. Someone else comes over and they share their self and you're sick of it in five minutes. Haven't you been? Seriously, you're ready to do the laundry just to not listen to them anymore. But you've been listening to this siren song for 30 minutes, 30 hours, 30 years, 30 months. And yet if you get, if you die to it, you'll see the bogusness of it. It's archaic. It's like, not, it's prior to a record player. It's scratchy, gets stuck in the same groove. I'm not lovable. I'm never going to forget what I want. No, what's going to happen to me? Oh, no, no, I'm afraid all the time. This and that. It's so bogusly old. But when you're entranced by it, you think it's the greatest new production of West Side Story. <laughs> oh, this is so novel. My eighth fairy princess has left. Do you see any commonality in all? No. This was different. Why? She had a different name. Oh, therefore it was different, yes. The same pattern over and over again, but there's different heads on them. Oh, I'm so confused. All right, let me go home and think. How many of my intimate relationships have I had? Let's say 12. Have they ever worked? No. What's the constant in those 12 relationships? You. Oh, Jesus, really? I thought it was her, 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 her. And him, because she was him, was with her. <laughs> no, you. Yes, you're giving everything the meaning it has. They're not bringing you any meaning. You're injecting them with all the meaning they have. There's no them anyway. You're injecting them with the meaning them, <laughs> which beholds you to be this. See? This needs another, or it wouldn't know it was a self. It had no sense of being a self, so it needs another. It needs you as a self so that I'm a self. So therefore, I get, I'm not where you are, so I'm having private thoughts. Much different than your thoughts. If you would see, if they could actually present the thinking, you know, a stream of thoughts that have gone through your head for five hours and match them with my stream of thoughts, and if we were both in recovery, if we both had alcoholism or addiction, the stream of thoughts would be very, very similar, the pattern. The name of the dog in the stream of thoughts would be different. One would be Biff and Fido, but there'd be a dog, let's say, in it. Or the, main, the name of the man or the woman would be different, but there'd be a man and woman in it. The same, same. It would be the same pattern, just with little tweaks. But because we're so obsessed with us, so obsessed with the wave, we can't see it. We can't see the repetition of waves, constantly cresting, going up, breaking on a shore, getting pulled back in. And all of that activity of being conscious doesn't lead us to the fact that we are ocean. It's unbelievable. For me, it's mind-boggling when you see it. Even in our program, we go in suffering from a mental disease, yeah? Alcoholism. You can't take a picture of alcoholism in an x-ray. You can't find it. It's not in the body. 
It's manifest through the thinking process. We come in here, usually every one of us had a strong sense of being terminally unique, I, I, I imagine. You really believe no one had the thoughts you had, and no one ever had the feelings you had, and no one, definitely no one ever did that heinous thing that you've done. And we come into these rooms, unbeknownst to us, because there's nowhere else to go, and we listen to people share. Some people don't, but inevitably after a while you're going to hear something. And after a while, you hear them share maybe a month or two, three, four months. And you can only come to two conclusions, in my view. Either, how did they get my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions sorts of life, or they're not my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions. They're a, they're a thought from a system called self-centeredness, and that system, the thing that produced it, the mental process, is infected with alcoholism. So my little take on me is an alcoholic one. My mind's take on me as a self is an alcoholic one. And when I come into a meeting and listen to people share, I don't identify with who you are, I identify with what's taking you over. Because the same mind stream took me over. Yes? And the, one of the greatest reliefs is when the terminal uniqueness cracks. The greatest relief, the difference in your whole day and your whole life is based on one little word, M-Y. If a thought would be seen as a thought, it's totally much lighter to travel with than if it's seen as my thought. The my is the act of identification. A feeling is much easier to deal with as soon as it becomes my feeling. What it does is it triggers tons of opinions about my feeling. Those, feel, those opinions would not arise if it was just seen as a feeling. They arise in the act of identification. As soon as there's the act of identification... The idea of Paul is like a tag to tons of files. A lot of ideas, a lot of memories, all distorted, a lot of opinions. And then that feeling gets injected with all that meaning through the bridge of mind. And that's what you're dealing with. You're not dealing with a feeling. You're dealing with your feeling. And the your is the heaviness of it, I'm telling you. Because I know, because when the your was dropped out, I saw how you could travel through it. Same thoughts happening and feelings happening, but a whole lot lighter traveling. Why? Because the act of identification was seen through. Those thoughts are not about me. I've lost interest in them. The feelings are not my feelings. They're allowed to come and go. I didn't ask them to come as this. No freaking way. And therefore, why own them? They came and they're meant to go. Yes? There's a witness of them. You're conscious, so you'll feel the thought. Feel it. You'll see the thought. But when you see the thought, that's conscious contact. When the mental reaction to that is, I'm seeing the thought, that is the trance of selfing. Now your life becomes a story to reflect the reality of a self. The conscious contact is used as the way to bond you to the idea of being a self because you constantly refer to every hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and smelling as, it's, as if it's you doing it. It's like making up an imaginary handcuff every second so it's after a while it seems real. Yeah? Every moment I'm seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, my head is going, I'm seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. <laughs> Actually, what it does, it sets you up in the chain of duality. Yeah? So now, instead of recognizing, well, there's a consciousness, you think that you can be conscious and unconscious. Yeah? Which are just appearances in consciousness. Consciousness is the ocean, and, and consciousness can appear here to be unconscious or conscious. But don't be fooled by the appearances. All there is is consciousness. If you believe that you can be conscious or unconscious, that conscious or unconscious is going to be based on what you do or have or what you don't do and have, and that's playing God. That's how the mental process plays God with consciousness. It says, I can be really conscious if I do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and if I don't do this, and this, and this, and this, I will be unconscious. What's that but playing God? When in fact all there is is consciousness. A simple recognition of the fact that you're on not that you're on great or you're on less, but you're on all day, yeah? all moments, all time that you're here. There's onness prior to it, or there wouldn't be time to you. 
But no, you get shackled with this, and now everything, instead of seeing what is, it's either or. Yes and no, good and bad, love and hate, beauty and ugliness. So name and form now has it's just con totally conceptualized. So you make a world out of appearances to seem real. And what you forget is the ocean. And then we all suffer from the lack of that sense of oceanness. So the mind creates symbols and substitutes for it. If you get this and do that, it should translate into you feeling like the ocean, does it? No. Then maybe you have, let's say, five Stalinist plans. You have five-year plans to be happy, joyous, and free. You go through three or four of them, they don't work, and you're still hoping number ten will. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's insanity. It's a failed system. Seeing is seeing. It comes to here, there's an act of identification, it turns into you looking. You looking can't recognize seeing because you're looking for it. Yeah? All the while, what's looking is seeing, but not in the modality of looking for. Yes? Because while you're looking for, there's the, there's the relevance of the you, which is the denial of the seeing. So I'm really busy looking for the truth. You'll be busy a long time. It's the perfect way to hide the truth is to look for it, obviously. The perfect way to be in self is to try to get out of it. See, in this place, we really believe there's things we're doing that are going to get us out of self. They're just forms of being in self. Because who's doing it? The idea of being you. That's what's to get out of. Not what you do or don't do. It's who's doing it. You know? It's not about meditate or don't meditate. See who's the meditator. Yeah? That would do a whole lot more than hours and hours and hours on a freaking pillow. See who's sitting on the pillow. If it, if it ain't you, you may stay or you may get up. Who knows? That's the beauty of life. I had this thing I share with it. I remember, uh, you know, I was really, really looking <laughs> for spirituality. So I got invited to this place, Mount Shasta, and they were going to have this big sweat. And this sweat only happened once a year. And people who were engaged in this, you know, sweats, Native American Indians, they build this. Well, I'll explain a little more. But this was once in a once a year thing, and people came from all around the United States and Europe and stuff, and they had this this authentic Indian came, and they built this giant, uh, like, hut with canvas, with, like, young saplings. You start from scratch. And it's a pretty big thing. And then they dig a pit, and they throw these, they throw, they get these rocks super hot, and they throw them in the pit. And then the Indian, or whoever runs this thing, you, everyone goes in there, and they close the flaps, and then they pour water on these rocks and herbs, and it gets, like, a freaking sauna, super sauna, yeah? Now, I had never done one of these, and I went there. And the lights were on, the flaps were open, and some of the people were standing up, and you're holding on to the rafters. And then suddenly the flaps went down, and it was pitch black, and everyone else had sat down, and there was no room for me. And you know heat rises. So I'm sitting like this, my first sweat, and this heat is unbelievable. It's burning my ears, my nostrils, my underarms, and I can't sit. Every time I try to go down, they go, hey, hey, I can't see it, but hey, so I'm standing there. But I'm not giving up, because I know it's going to be a great spiritual experience. <laughs> so I'm frying, I'm frying. And then they open the flap, and everyone rushes out, and we jump into, the, jump into this mountain stream, and it's a huge rush. Total phenomenon, but huge rush. You're just like, whoosh. And then they get back in. They get back in, and it was like hell. I was trying to sit like this, protect myself. The heat was just hitting you like waves. Yeah? And this went on and on. I stayed in there for three days, doing in and out, going in, you know? And then years later, I had heard this message. And years later, my, one of my friends became involved with the Native American. They're all white guys, you know, but Novato, California. But they got involved in it, and they were going to build a little sweat at this, behind this guy's house. And he wanted me to come up there and support him. So I said, sure, sure. And they had, like, they were going to have food and everything. And they brought an Indian from Oklahoma. I swear to God. 
Craigslist or something. Okay? They brought the Indian in, authentic Indian. There was about nine of us. And so they, we go into and they built the thing and they bring me in there. And I'm sitting there and they start the, you know, the rocks and the water. And, and suddenly there's a recognition. I go, it's hot. And I get right up and leave. <laughs> I could hear them in there. Oh! And all the food and drinks were outside. I was kicking back, drinking, this and that. What had happened? It was just a simple recognition of a kid and a perfect response. It's hot, get out of here. <laughs> didn't have to have eight page, 800 pages of scriptures. When it hot, get out. No, it was very fast. You know, what would keep me in the other thing? This incredible idea, somehow. See, if your head has a conditioning that you think spirituality is noble, that you think it's really great to sit hours in a meditation pillow, there it is. The meaning your mind's giving that, everything you do and have that that your mind calls spiritual is like a giant... You ever see those people when they want to get a suntan? They get those aluminum reflectors... And they sit there. All that stuff that you believe is freeing you is just reflecting selfing. Because you've given so much meaning to it. Have you ever noticed if you're a meditator, if you miss a day, that you think the whole day can't, doesn't go well because you missed it? What? Did you ever think of that when you were four years old? Where was this acquired? Where was this idea? This noble idea is now used to screw you even more. It's nothing wrong if that's the niche, if that's the tendency this has meditate, but at least check out who it is. Because if you have the if you think it's romantic to be a you know a spiritual giant, everything you do and have under that auspices of being the doer of it is just going to be bonding you to the idea of becoming a spiritual person, which is much more slimy than an addict, much much more. <laughs> Seriously, I'd much rather spend time with an addict than a spiritual person. They're much more direct, the addict. They know what they want, and they're willing to do anything to get it. <laughs> the thing in the spirituality, they don't know what they want, but they're not willing to do anything to get it. Because they want to get it as a self. <laughs> it's the safest place to live. What they'll promise you is it may have it may take lifetimes. Your mind loves it. Oh, I can be a spiritual giant for lifetimes. Yeah. This is so fucking immediate, this message. You're not that. You're not special. Nothing. You really get nothing. And that's how much something have you got? Tons of it. So much something every day. Get something more and more. This is a very clear message. There's nothing to get. That what you are is demonstrating itself in such an incredible way. It's not demonstrating itself in one way. It's demonstrating itself. It's performing through five doors all the time. And actually six doors. Seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and seeing thoughts. I mean, it's not even entering in life just you know one tricky way where if you weren't looking, you wouldn't miss it. It's coming out six doors every second of every day. And we're still not getting it. (laughs) You need a whap, a Zen bitch slap. That's the whole point of these messages. Because hopefully, selfing is a verb. It can be startled into stopping. And when it stops, what never started is available. When it stops, what's never started is available. You'll see what's always so when what you think is always so stops. You'll see truly what's always so. Yeah? You won't see it. You'll be seeing from it. And that will be the feeling. You'll be seeing from it. It will not be an object to your mental idea anymore. It will be the subjectivity of life. There will be a noticing of that. And that frees you from that bondage to self. And when you see this stop and something continues, you have to come to the conclusion what continues must be much, has to be much more of me than what has stopped. Yeah? Then you see its unimportance and you lose interest in it. 
when you lose interest in it, it doesn't have a light because it doesn't have a light. It has yours by being identified. Once you take that identification away from it, it doesn't have a light. And then it cries and tries to advertise and get your attention and interest again, but your immunity will grow. It needs all that interest and attention. See, if you had a... Let's say if there was a parasite, let's say a mental process is infected with alcoholism, and alcoholism is like a parasite. Let's just say that. That parasite, if you've ever been taken over by one, it doesn't have to be just alcoholism. It could be a lot of things. You know, sex addiction, or obsessing over shopping, whatever. It has a feeling of being possessed. Yeah? You feel like something's taking you over. That's a damn good reading of it. So this thing takes you over, yes? And when it takes you over, its effects on your life is very hostile, yeah? I mean, it doesn't really make everything go swimmingly, does it? It sort of ruins relationships, and you lose jobs, and teeth, and get limps, and things like that happen, and abscesses, and on and on it goes. You lose all sense of moral ground and integrity. So it's a very hostile takeover. What, what does it need the most to continue to be alive? It needs a life. Yeah. It needs your life. So what best, better strategy does it have than to present itself as you? Yeah. In other words, what it's presenting as you is an activity of it. And you're taking that to be you. And once you take that to be you, you can never really entertain being free of the parasite because you're bound to it now by being identified as it. So no matter how hostile it gets, you keep cleaning up the mess by either avoiding it or cleaning it up. But you, or maybe getting tons of therapy, but you never get to the point where you go, enough's enough, I'm not that. Yeah. The one thing that could free you from it, it makes it very very difficult for you to entertain because of the identification. It's its greatest insurance policy to continue. Because a parasite without a host doesn't have a life. So it has to continually convince the host that it's the host. How does it do it? By your daily narrative in your head. How else? But by thought. How do you know things here? By thinking about them, don't you? How do you know you? By thinking about it. If the thinking is, is one of its main arms to commit this little activity, then what you're relying on is totally self, and that's unreliable, isn't it? That's, what it, that's the conclusion they came to in recovery. They said, why do you have so much fear? And it said, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So self-reliance produces the atmosphere of anxiety, obviously, in one's life. And the anxiety is not even coming from what's happening, it's coming from what's not happening. Because when you're identified as this mental process, you really become a citizen of the mental realm. And in the mental realm, time is more important than now. Your life is judged and calibrated and critiqued by the past, and then it's projected into a future. All happening now. And really, that's where anxiety comes from. It's, a, it's a, an imaginary field in, in a realm called what's not happening. And your mind goes there and picks some fruit and then brings it here and feeds this apparatus. And then you have an experience of anxiety, or what we call fear now, with no threat causing it, except something from what's not happening. Can you imagine that? that your mind is the greatest miracle worker of all. It's making something out of nothing, really. It's making anxiety out of what's not happening. And then people want to have all these different ways of getting over the ills of what's not happening instead of just entertaining it's not happening. To me, that's the quickest solution. To all the products my mind can bring back when it travels to what's not happening, if I don't want to go through every time it comes back and go through the bags of everything is bought there, I can just say, hey, when it tries to reintroduce itself, it's not happening. Yeah. There's your solution. 
I mean, is something provoking fear now in you? Is it something coming, happening now? Usually not. Usually it's a mental anxiety. Your mind is playing in the realm of time and speculating on what could possibly happen to you next week, which is you could have cancer. And it can override your good health now with the idea that you could have cancer later. Why is that? Why wouldn't this now trump that? Why wouldn't what's happening trump what's not happening? You must be identified with the true source of all of what's not happening, which is you as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. How can you be open to its effects unless you believe in its cause? How could you be affected by a causeless effect? It's coming from what's not happening. How could you have an effect? You must believe that it's actually going to happen. Yeah? Look at your thinking, if you see it. Where is its value in past and future, isn't it? It has no value now. It's worrying about how you'll be later, or where you're going to go out to eat. It's just, it sort of just overrides. It doesn't give much attention to hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching. Acceptance is never noted when everything's cool. It's always looking for the things that aren't right in its little schematics, yeah? To someone I really wanted to be here that isn't here. <laughs> what an insane thing to do. Right? Can you imagine being at a meeting and dwelling on the one person that isn't here for the hour you were here? Seems like insanity, doesn't it? But we take it to be normal. And then you go home and you represent re how it would have been tonight if he or she would have showed up. But they didn't. <laughs> you missed the one crucial aspect. They didn't show up. <laughs> Instead, you try to combat all the 800 representations instead of having the initial obvious reaction, they didn't show up. End of story. <laughs> oh, I hate facts. I hate facts. It's prints my style. I want to speculate on how bad it can be for me next week. Why the hell? Because your attention and interest is up that self's ass. Yeah? way up there. You're so up there. You know, you think when you've seen someone, you ever see those movies when someone gets obsessed with a star and they start dressing like them and they start trying to go out with the people they go out with and go where they go and after a while it, it kicks up a couple of notches. They get plastic surgery. They try to look like them and this and that and maybe they start killing people who they get jealous of getting too close and maybe they actually have to kill the person they're, they're obsessed with. Identification is way past that scale. I mean, seriously. Identification is so far beyond the most extreme obsession you've ever seen. It is so far beyond that. Mind-boggling beyond it. It's just become the norm, so we don't think it's anything bad. But if you see it as not you, you'll see the insanity of it. You'll see the extreme insanity of a mind identified as what it's not. It's way past being obsessed over coke or a woman or anything like that. Way past that. Extremely. So this, for me, is just telling the truth. Yes. What's arising by thought and my interest in them and presenting me and presenting my life is false evidence appearing real. Yeah? The acronym for fear. It's false evidence. And, it can, and it's appearing real is based on your condition. If you're identified as self, it will appear real to you. If you're not, it will appear to be false. If it appears to be false, that's more than enough to have immunity to it. If it appears to be real, you better make a therapy appointment. Because you're going to need it. You're going to need to do some extreme sports. You're going to need to distract yourself constantly because this false evidence will be knocking on your imaginary door. <coughs> Impending doom. It was like that Saturday Night Live, the land shark. Land shark. Who's there? Uh, telegram. <laughs> pizza. I didn't order a pizza. Telegram. That's what it does. Hasn't you ever noticed it? You'll say one thing. If you don't let it in the side door, it goes to the back door, comes in the cellar, knocks on the window, skylight. As soon as it gets you, your attention goes, yeah, that could be too. <laughs> now you're a historical fish. Yeah. Now you're swimming in its ocean, the mental realm of time. Then you're a wave, dry as hell. You see, 
in, in all experiences and intent, you're as far away from the ocean as you could possibly be in what's not happening. You're dying to feel a little wet, and yet your wetness, yeah? Sandy's very close to wetness, I'm telling you. <laughs> the, most, the most sane people here are totally insane. They have to be. This place is crazy. <laughs> we were talking about it today. This is just, let's say if you were, if this was possibly real, I don't take this place to be real, but let's say you were cruising over this planet and you took, and you could pick up a little of information and you looked at our society and you saw just one statement, it would give you all the evidence you needed not to land here. And that is putting profit before health. <laughs> all they would need is to hear that one thing and they would know the insanity of this whole place. And all this place is just different degrees of insanity. Yes? Way, way beyond that is the identification as a self. It's the original source of all the demonstration of all this anxiety where people can think of only themselves, sense of entitlement, who gives a fuck if thousands of people are dying, my pool looks pretty good, all of this stuff. These, all these visions and views we have here are all rooted in the identification with this mental process called self, every fucking one of them. Yeah? They'd have no semblance of reality if they weren't based on you, being terminally unique and different. That's why you cannot feel other people's pain. You can have total immunity to it. When I was out there hurting my mother and all these things as an action figure, it didn't make one effect on me. I had no compassion at all. I had no feeling for another. I didn't know what, how my behavior pertained to them. I didn't have a freaking clue. Yeah? This is called the isolation and self and all that I believe, all the neuroses and everything else, and all the degrees and all the geometrical progressions is just based on this one fundamental, fundamental entertaining of us being separate from ocean. Determined by conditioning and predilections, there's no, you have nothing to do with it. You are just a narrative about its actions. Yeah? Try not to do anything. That would be a doing too. Like someone says, I'm going to go do, well then I'll, if it's, if I can do anything, I'll just go home and do acid. You probably won't. You'll probably go watch TV and do whatever. 
Oh, if I had a chance, I'd do everything different. Probably not. <laughs> Probably do exactly the same that's happened. See, there's a big assumption that you're the mover and shaker. I'd see that not to be true. Lord Buddha supposedly said, I like this one, says events happen, yeah, like this was an event. Deeds are done, yeah, so actions have been committed, but there is no individual doer thereof. Yeah. So in a sense, the way I'm conditioned responds or reacts to stimuli that my life brings about. Some of the people I'll run into won't be the people you run into, Yes? The bumper car I run into, you'll run into another bumper car in this giant bumper car room. And my reaction to that isn't my reaction. It's the reaction of the bumper car to the other bumper car. Yeah? Based on the conditions and the education and the environmental effects on this bumper car. All the while, the mental process is claiming that, all the actions, and claiming it to be an individual doer thereof. Lord Buddha just stepped in and saved you some time. He says, yeah, events are happening, and deeds are being done, but there is no individual doer thereof. The narrative is about you as an individual doer. That's what needs to be seen. It doesn't mean events stop and deeds stop. Yeah? It doesn't even mean the appearances stop. You're just not identified as the one who's appearing. Yeah? That's all. Where does all guilt and shame, your mind, one of the biggest crops of mind is guilt and shame, yes, doesn't it? It's all based on, all rests on the branch of personal doership, obviously. If you, didn't, if you didn't believe you were the doer, you wouldn't have all these opinions about what you did. Yeah? You wouldn't go over them over and over and over again with the idea. It's amazing how people think they have free will, but they usually only exert it when they're thinking about the past and the future. <laughs> they don't exert it now, like doing the right thing now. They think about, oh, I could have done something different. If I wouldn't have gone there, if I didn't do that, if I shouldn't have done this, yeah? And if they, they, they act, the mental realm thinks as if it has all this free will. It thinks it could have done something different, but did it do something different? And then you claim that you're the thinker, then stop thinking if you're the thinker. People say, well, I'm the drinker, then stop drinking. You couldn't do that either. You need something, a power greater than self. Yeah? Because you were never drinking. This is the whole story. Where does all guilt and shame arise? It's one of the greatest crops from what's not happening. It's guilt and shame. You've been harvesting a crop of guilt and shame from a little bush that may have happened, may not have even happened 20 years ago. Your mind is going back there and cultivating it like a marijuana plant. Growing the biggest buds and then smoking it now. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't. It's mind-boggling. It's all mental obsession. You don't need to be freed. If anyone's going to free you, it would be you. You're the one who's holding yourself captive. And this prison, there is no prison. Your wanting to escape is the act of being imprisoned. Yeah? Self is trying constantly to try to get out of itself. It can't. How could self get out of self? How could a product of a mental process leave the mental process? Give me a break. It can't. That's why I always like to say, the best way to get out of something is realize you're not in it. When you realize you're not in it, that's being out of it. Yeah? When you realize you're not in it, that's the only secure, honest way of being out of anything, is realizing you weren't in it. Once you believe you're in it, then you try to get out of it, you'll always seem to go back in it. And all of you getting out of it and getting back in it is, will be based on what you do or don't do, and what you have and don't have, and that's the act of playing God. That's how the mental process plays God. It says your freedom isn't based on freedom itself, it's based on what you do. So which is more important, the freedom or you? You. God. If God was everywhere, why aren't you bumping into it? It seems like knowing God is based on you. I would say you're playing the bigger God in that equation. Not the God that you want to know. That's a minor God because you're the one that says you know it or not. I would say that's a bigger God. Self has tons of gods, but they're all lesser than it. They're all based on what it doesn't have to get an experience of. God is, in a sense, for me, represent everywhere. 
A special somewhere cannot get everywhere. It recognizes it's not a special somewhere, that's everywhere. That's it. Yeah. All you need to do is see, I'm not a special somewhere, that's being everywhere. And what happens when you get a sense of being everywhere, you'll get a very strong sense it's always been that way. There's never been a special somewhere to begin with. It isn't like the special somewhere was there, and it was sufficiently strong enough to block everywhere. No, it's an illusion. The special somewhere was never there. It's always been everywhere. Any questions tonight? Very small window of opportunity. It's closing, closing. <laughs> oh, yes, oh, jeez. <laughs> to the idea of being released from freedom. Really. Because freedom is of time. Yeah? I mean, fear is of time. It's always based on time. Here is a timeless event, and if you're entertaining it, that's the freedom from fear. Really. <laughs> so it's not here. <laughs> that's real freedom. <laughs> the problem doesn't exist here. And the thing is, there's no really requirements necessary to meet it. You already met it. You fulfill all the requirements. You're conscious. Yeah? That's it. To see is to see. And, you have, and you're seeing. It's just not you looking, it's seeing. The same thing that you call looking, you looking, is the seeing. There's no difference. It's one has an interpretation over it that's sort of clouding it to you, yeah? So seeing is being seen as looking, with a you looking, yeah? So the you and the looking is the interpretation by mind of seeing. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that there is no seeing, and or when you stop looking, seeing will come in. But there's always only been seeing. There's just an interpretive little sheen over it called I'm looking, yeah? If you look, if you see that, and you see it not to be you, then it's usually a nice quick hit of seeing. Yeah? And it's like the obviousness is really worth a thousand pages to me of scripture. It's just that sense of seeing. It's incredible. Yeah, and then you get convinced here, like an unspoken yes. And then that faith. You know, everyone in this room has tons of faith. Everybody. To me, faith is like an energy that manifests 
here by what vehicle it's put in. And so many of us have, have, a, have had a lot of faith in our mental system. We have relied on self. What, what is reliance but faith? Yeah? So I relied on something unreliable. There's been the consequences of that. The same energy put into a different vehicle, which is, for me, the vehicle of I'm not that. As soon as I recognize I'm not that, that's the act of being what I am. I don't have to be what I am. That's the act of being what I am, is seeing I'm not that. Yeah? That faith translates as an ease and comfort. Now, what it does. Most people have faith in their thoughts, and that's why they have so much anxiety. So faith given over to the mental system produces anxiety from what's not happening. Faith given into this moment produces an ease and comfort or a lack of fear in this moment. Yeah, same thing. But faith is both. It's just what is, put in, what is it put in here. And you can tell very easily the fruit by the tree, the tree by the fruit. See the fruits of your head, see what's happening. And then park under the other tree. <laughs> you know, pull over and yeah, see how it feels. So, hey, we, uh, we're going to pass the basket. Does anyone have a hat I could borrow? Now, we have a giant store of things I'm selling now. <laughs> we have DVD, a two DVD set for ten dollars. I'm not sure they all work, so if they don't, you can always get that. Give me money. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you money back. There's T-shirts there, Zen bitch slap shirts, and there's some women T-shirts, dancing monks, and uh, the matching sweat outfits will be coming soon. Literally or not? Not. I'm gonna get some long sleeves. Yeah, it's probably coming. I just like making these things. I do. They're not selling well. No. I've only sold one shirt. So. I bought like eighty dollars worth of shirts. I sold one, so I ruined about eight making it. Yeah, yeah. Just these are iron-on. The Zen bitch left. They're back there. They're pretty nice. Yeah, I'm making them. Got a little iron and. Nice, yeah. Get a little hat, like a <laughs> floppy hat. Yeah. Hey, you know I am. You always come at the right time, right? Yeah, it's pretty good timing. When we get the basket, we end with a prayer for the others who have it. We do a prayer from recovery called the Serenity Prayer. We do a we. It's very easy, you know. God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. Encourage to change the things we can, and the wisdom no difference. It's very short, but that's what we do after the meeting. So. Everybody get this? And yeah, we're going to have meetings, you know, the regular meetings, but August 12th, I think, well, I'm going to be gone until the 29th of August. So there won't be any meetings from the 12th to the 29th. 17 days.